Tell me one more time about Jesus. I'm going to try. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day and for all of your blessings. Thank you for the anointing that breaks every yoke. Thank you for using me as a vessel to honor you and glorify you and to share your words and your wisdom and your power and your might and your love and victory through Christ Jesus. Help us all to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ today and share it with others. In his precious name we pray, amen. Tell me one more time about Jesus, all about his mercy and grace. Every time I do, you will gain a little more faith, amen? Because faith comes by hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing the word of God, this Bible. Hallelujah. Christian life, as it should be, <laughs> there's a lot of variations on a theme these days. Doesn't mean that they're allowed, it just means that they're tried. Because I've been teaching about the deception of the enemy. And his favorite thing is to try to be a Christian. <laughs> Pretend. Great pretender. But the Christian life as it should be is not, you know, it's not about behavior modification. And that's nine out of ten people on the street that you ask, that's where they'll go. They'll start with, well, they, they try to keep the Ten Commandments, but they can't name two. They say, well, that's okay, because that's not what it's all about. It's not about behavior modification. It's not about good deed. The world focuses on those things. The religion focuses on those things. Put the cart before the horse. Christianity is not about self-help. God doesn't patch you up and fix you up and send you back out. We just celebrated the life and death of Jesus and the resurrection by partaking of communion. You died with him on that cross if you belonged to him and you were born again, a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Christianity is quite impossible in our own strength. It's not external. The kingdom of God is about righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. Through Jesus, the only way. The only way. Sadly, I find that people come to God 
only after they've already exhausted all of their worldly resources. Remember the woman with the issue of blood. She did a wonderful thing and great faith it took, thankfully. But she had already expended all of her worldly resources, see, the end of herself. She made up her mind about Jesus. And unfortunately, that's how some of us had to do it. I was one. Doesn't have to be that way. That's why they put those stories in the Bible for us to learn from their mistakes. If the church made up of people were living as we should, it wouldn't be the case. We send, uh, we send folks to doctors and, you know, get to talking to old, send them the best doctor, you know, the banker and psychiatrist and when you could just tell them one more time about Jesus. Because one of those times, it's going to take They might just need a little stronger faith. Sorry to correct Vince like that. You don't need a little more faith. You just need to strengthen what you have. Huh? Because <clears throat> Jesus is not only our great physician, counselor, Lawyer, banker, he's all that and a lot more. Christianity isn't just about doing good, although it will produce fruit. There are good works that God created you to do, but that's not what earns our relationship with him. That's a byproduct of the relationship. You walk through, oh, I wish I could walk you through Romans and just show you the beautiful picture of grace that Paul laid out. But in the sixth chapter, talks about how, you know, good actions by a lost person do, does not make them good doesn't make them righteous in God's sight. They can do all the good they want apart from Jesus and they're still not right. Nor do bad actions by a saved person make them evil. In the seventh chapter, Romans, it talks about the fact that it's impossible to live the Christian life in the flesh. Paul sounded so confused at the end of that chapter. But thanks be to God, he got to the eighth chapter. It talked about how to be free through Christ Jesus. 
You see, the Bible is the picture of a marriage between us and Jesus. We're no longer married to that corrupt old man. No more in union with that corrupt, sinful nature. Satan is no longer our father if we've given our heart to Jesus. That old man died. That old woman died. Dead and gone. So independent of our performance, we're now in right standing with God just by having made the proper response to the grace of God provided through Calvary. But if you want to experience the life, the victory that God has for you, then you have to learn to live a life after the Spirit, don't you? Hmm? Move on to maturity. Paul talks about this. In all frustration, he talks about it. He keeps telling the church, he says, you, you, even though I want to move on to these, these great spiritual truths that God has shared with me, I can't because in, instead of growing up, I still have to feed you milk, you know. That's what he told them. But we want to mature. And this end times bride is going to be matured and adorned with all the gifts of the Spirit and walking in power and might and love and victory and peace and sharing it with the world. Amen. Unshakable, immovable, incorruptible. No matter what you achieve in this world, your integrity, your salvation, that's what you're going to have left at the end. But we need to get past the point where we're just fans of Jesus and start being real followers, disciples. If you, if we think, if we think carnal things, that's just of the flesh, then we're living after the flesh. If our thoughts are consumed with things of the world and natural things, then we're, we're carnal. Doesn't mean sinful always. Sometimes it does. But if, if we've, my mind is set on spiritual truths, the Word of God, Jesus, the promises of God, then, then we're living life after the Spirit. We're in agreement with God, you see. Walking in lockstep. How can two walk together lest they be, be agreed? Amos 3.3. 3. So if somebody wrongs us, if we meditate on that, it'll produce death. Death comes in various forms. Depression, anger, bitterness. Huh? We've all been there. But if you give it to God and don't let the negative take root. How many of you know it's real easy to, to keep your garden free of weeds if you just catch them when they're coming up? It's almost just barely rake the hole over them and they're gone, you know. But man, you got them get about a foot tall and it's like. 
We don't let them take root, though. We're not those kind of folks. We, we catch the enemy trying to steal from us immediately. We pray for that person. Oh, that upsets the devil. We see it as a spiritual need they have. We trust God with our hurt. Then it'll produce life and peace in our lives, and that's living by the Spirit. Amen. Or oh me. <laughs> Christ living through you. That's Christ living through you, huh? Likewise, the one who neglects the grace of God, the offender, the perpetual sinner, which is not only You see, the grace that God has is not only the unearned, unmerited, undeserved favor and blessings of God toward you, but also the power and ability to be and to do all that he created you to be and to do. So to neglect your salvation... Talked about this last week. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? So to neglect our great salvation and remain in that sin, denying God's power and willingness and ability to make you free, then you better check to see if you are in faith. Because you're called to a life of faith. Either way, the one who sins or the one who will not forgive, repent. Repent. You know what that is? A change of mind that brings about a change in direction. It's that simple. Agree with God. <laughs> when you find you're going the opposite direction of God, just say, oh, wait, wait, Lord, let me go your way. That's repentance. It's so simple. Change your thinking, change your life. That's a fact. If you don't like the way your life is, change your thought life. And you can do that. Because Philipp um, the Philippians 4, 8, tells us what to think, how to think, what we should think on. If God tells us, we can control our thoughts, then we can. Proverbs 23, 7 says, As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. So your life is going to go the predominant way of your thinking. So agree with God. Because listen, your attitude controls your altitude. <laughs> Hallelujah. Solution, Proverbs 16, 6, by mercy and truth, iniquity is purged. By the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. Put God first place in your life. You notice all that other stuff's just straightening out. 
See, the world sees truth as a relative term. <laughs> Good and evil, relative terms. The end does justify the means to them. That's not right, though. The error of man has taken them down a slippery slope, you see. And without the church, there's no help. There are strange sorts of thinking going on, and, and uh, especially on college campuses, it seems like these days. I guess there always has been, but, you know, they challenge them to, to try their minds and, you know, explore things. And they, you know, I, I'd be very careful where I send my children off to, especially pay money for it, because most of the, what were once great universities founded on God and Christianity have now turned into places where you pay them an exorbitant amount of money to, uh, to allow your child to uh, major in frisbee golf or something like that. And uh, their only goal is if they arrive there with any faith, make sure they don't leave with it. We've seen this happen in real time, and it's ugly and hateful. So be careful where you send them. There are still some very good places. If you need to know, just talk to me or our brother Russell Lorfing. He'll be here end of February, last Sunday in February, everyone. Amen. Talking about this thing, I was listening yesterday about something about these colleges and all this nonsense that they're shoving down their throats and seeing they're, they're, and now some of these college students, some of them are permanent college students, you see. <laughs> Perpetual. They've learned to work the system, I guess, and they, they get another scholarship to stay another several years, and next thing you know, they're challenging every good thing, and they're very smart. Very intelligent, very educated. So it's sad. I see some of the biblical scholars that try to go up against them, and it's, I'm glad it's not me sometimes. <laughs> there are many who think that. There's no real right and wrong, you see. That's the, that's the core of what they're talking about. That's the core of all these controversial, I'm not talking about Israel and Palestine, I'm talking about, I'm talking about the real issue of God. And the enemy is put into their minds that there's no real right or wrong, you see. That it's all subjective. Instead of objective. Subjective just means that it's up to the individual's own perspective to decide if something is good or bad, or right or wrong, you see? Based on their feelings, their opinions, their emotions. Instead of having the truth we do from the Word of God. 
himself. This Bible is where we get most of our, even our laws in this nation. The Bible is where we've determined, for example, the, the difference between murder and manslaughter, you know. All comes from the Bible. The basis of almost our entire legal system, for the moral code especially. And, well, civil too, in many, many cases. The Bible has all we need for life and godliness, doesn't it? It's from God, and He's all-knowing and wise. A student at a university, I, I heard a, a deal about, that was what I was trying to think of. This, this student at a university, he, he recently stood up and he challenged this godly speaker who was there to talk about God and Jesus. It was here in the United States. And, and the student asked him, he said, I have one question for you. Why are you afraid of truth being subjective. And the, the, the man answered, he said, do you lock your doors at night? And the student said, yeah. He said, then you also are afraid of truth being subjective. You see? Why else would you lock your doors? Because it might seem good to somebody at the moment, to break into that man's house and steal, kill, or destroy from him and his family. And if good and evil are subjective, then you have no recourse against him. the same nonsense as waking up one day well I'm a boy today I'm a girl tomorrow whatever you know I'm going to get married to this train station what <laughs> so we need to keep it objective based on verifiable truth based on facts and the evidence which, though this is a spiritual book, I believe that it's going to prove itself out. And there's plenty of evidence to support it as well. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I don't want to get it off too far. <laughs> they got a lot to cover here. Romans 12, 1 and 2 appeals to us to... By the mercies of God, based on everything good that God has done for us to present our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is what Paul calls our reasonable worship or service or spiritual worship, depending on which translation you have. And he says, don't be conformed to the world. Don't be poured into the mold of this world. You're going to be conformed to something. You're going to be shaped and formed and conformed to, to something. Don't let it be the world, he said. But be transformed by the renewal of your mind through this word. The word of God. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God. What is good and acceptable and perfect. 
Remember, we don't want to be able to, for the enemy to be able to deceive us. And Paul tells us right there why we need to be transformed to be in agreement with God and to know His will and His ways. That way we filter everything that this world throws, us, throws at us through the filter of God's Word. You can, just like listening to a lie long enough, you'll start to believe it to be true. You ever heard that? Yeah. Well, I'm here to tell you this, you can get so full of the truth, you can't stand the lie. Amen. Let me read that to you in the, the Passion Translations, Romans 12, 1, 2. Beloved friends, what should be our proper response to God's marvelous mercies? To surrender yourselves to God to be His sacred living sacrifices. And live in holiness, experiencing all that delights his heart. For this becomes your genuine expression of worship. Stop imitating the ideals and opinions of the culture around you. But be inwardly transformed by the Holy Spirit through a total reformation of how you think. This will empower you to discern God's will as you live a beautiful life, satisfying and perfect in his eyes. Remember when Jesus was teaching the parable of the, the, the four soils, the law of sowing and reaping? Mark chapter 4 is one of the places. In the 13th verse, he said to them, I'm talking about just one, one of the soils, the worst one, the first one, the path people. The ones that have no understanding. It just falls onto that hard, packed-down ground of their heart. And the birds come and eat it right away. That's the devil. He said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? That's why I tell you all the time. You have to understand the law of sowing and reaping in the kingdom of God because Jesus says... It, has everything to do with everything regarding the kingdom because everything's in seed form. Okay. Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? Verse 14, the sower sows the seed and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. Satan comes for the word of God. He'll try you today. He'll try to get you off track and just this off your mind immediately after this service. He'll try to get you onto something else to get you angry, to get you distracted so you can't meditate on the truths that you've heard and let them go in and take root and bear fruit in your life. Don't let him. He wants you offended. He, he wants you living from your own mind and will and emotions out of your soulish realm, your flesh, instead of the spirit. He wants you ignorant of God's truth so that you'll be defenseless against him, the devil that is. 
can't get that song out of my mind. Tell me one more time about Jesus. I will. But it will always be insufficient, you know? Because just as the Word says, the gift of God is so wonderful and it's unspeakable. In other words, words can't describe God's gift to us in Christ. He's wonderful. And he is the wonderful counselor, like I ministered on recently. He's the eternal father, the prince of peace. He's the head of all things, and above him there is no other. That's our Jesus He's the commander of heaven's armies. He's our loving Savior. He's the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. All things were created by him and for him. He's Emmanuel, God with us. He's the Messiah, the Christ, the Savior. A friend that sticks closer than a brother. He's our deliverer. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by Him. He is our mighty God. He is love. He is light. He is almighty. He is humble and kind. That's Jesus. In Luke chapter 18, verse 26, Jesus himself, he says, with God, with him, nothing is impossible. Amen. That's wonderful. Yeah. Nothing's impossible with God. Nothing's even a big deal to God. Jesus, he, he took the, the hated tax collectors and the harlots, and the lepers, and the, the demon-possessed persons. And he, he looked them right in the eyes, and he loved them, and he laid his hands on them, and he set them free from the devil's grasp. And he caused them, his, his love caused them to, to turn and to serve him and to follow him. He didn't judge them for their sin, but he never stopped short of telling them to stop sinning because he loved them. He cares for everyone. In Luke chapter 18, they brought him little children and, and, and they tried to stop him. He said, let them come, let them come. And he even used those, those little children as examples for us of how we have to humble ourselves and believe and he requires us to live a life of faith. We owe him that. Although we could never repay him for all that he has done. But it's his humility today that I want to encourage you to focus on and to take seriously. Because it's through humility that the believer is most like God. It's through humility that the believer is most like God. Amen. 
and is in a position to benefit from all that God has for them. Where do we need humility? 1 Thessalonians 5.23 explains to us that we are three-part beings, doesn't it? Just like our triune God. <clears throat> One God manifests himself in three persons. We are spirit, soul, and body, aren't we? In our born-again spirit, do we need humility? It's already humble. It's our soul. It's our soul, our mind, our will, our emotions, our personality that needs humility. All right? I want to talk about fasting a little bit today. I told you last week. They asked Jesus one time, these religious hypocrites, they said, how come... How come your disciples don't fast? He said, they will. He said, they don't because I'm with them. They don't fast while the bridegroom is still with you, but I'll be gone one day, and then they will fast. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 16 through 18, the gospel of Matthew chapter 6, verses 16 through 18, this is Jesus speaking, and the first three words or what? If you what? Did he say if? <laughs> when? When you fast. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? <laughs> When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face. Don't, don't, don't go putting oil on your head. That's just what they did in his day. <laughs> in other words, he's saying, he's saying, get up, take a shower, get cleaned up, and, and don't go around uh, just uh, letting on that you're miserable and, 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 and trying to show off and get the attention and sympathy of the world because you won't, he says, that's your reward then. You got it because you sought it from man, that's where you'll get it, not from me. In other words, that's not humble. So get cleaned up, wash your face, brush your teeth, go on about your business. <laughs> 18, so that it will not be obvious to others that you're fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So fasting is the way that God set up for us to humble ourselves. This is one of the aspects of fasting. And so I'll just elaborate on that for a moment because it's, it's not where I normally would start talking about fasting, but it's, it's where God has me. So God is not one who wants to humiliate you. Speaking of humble humiliation, you see what I'm saying? God doesn't want to humiliate you. 
And if he did, it may not take. You see, because it's still, you might, you, you know, you can tell a kid, you, you, you go over there and you sit down right there. And you, you heard the story before, the little kid, he goes over there and he sits down. He goes, I'm sitting down over here, but, but in, in my mind, I'm still standing right over there, you see. <laughs> So God doesn't want to humble you or humiliate you. But we can make ourselves humble. And that's how it's supposed to be done. Nowhere in the Bible does it say for us to pray for God to make us humble. Nowhere. If you find it, you let me know. We're called instead to humble ourselves. Under the mighty hand of God. Why? Does God want us groveling around on the ground like beggars on our knees all the time? No. What kind of father would he be if he did? But let me tell you this. He hates pride. He hates pride. Pride will destroy you quicker than anything. Pride is vicious and evil, and it prevents us from receiving all of God's blessings. What was the first sin ever committed? Pride. Where was it committed? In heaven, by Lucifer. Jesus tells a parable where he reveals a kingdom key. You know how I love the keys to the kingdom, huh? You got a big keychain now, don't you? A spiritual law. Because all those spiritual laws are there for your benefit. That's why I love them. But they can be harmful if you don't handle them correctly or you don't learn them. So he makes an example or a parable regarding a wedding feast he was attending. In Luke chapter 14, starting in verse 7. He says, Now he told a parable of those who were invited to this wedding feast. When he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, When you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit in a place of honor lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person. And then you'll begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you're invited, go and sit in the lowest place so that when your host comes by, he, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you'll be honored in the presence of all who sit at table with you. For everyone who exalts himself, verse 11, for everyone, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. I've mentioned before that it's good to remember that God's greatest gifts are always on the lowest shelves where you have to stoop down to get them. 
just a, a reminder to stay humble because humility is a key. It's essential to good relationship with God and to receive from God. Sometimes just praying with your face straight down on the floor is the best place to be. You know? It reminds us of our total dependence on God and our gratitude to Him for what He's done for us and our debt that can never be repaid. If any of us think that we're deserving of anything in this life or the next, our minds will be changed the moment we see the scars in the hands of our Lord Jesus. Philippians chapter 2, beginning of the chapter, we have Jesus' example to us of humility. The second verse says so, well, the first verse says, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. I want you to just, just to stop right there for a moment. That's the total exact opposite of what Lucifer did in heaven. You see? Lucifer had a high standing. He was always in God's presence. He was the head of God's praise and worship team. He was created beautiful and wise. He was a powerful archangel. It wasn't good enough. He wanted to be God. He wanted to exalt himself above God. On the other hand, Jesus, who had every right as the real son of God to be equal with God, it says he, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He, 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 he set all that aside for us in humility, you see but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You have to understand, death on a cross was the most horrific and shameful and disgusting way to die in his time. A Roman citizen was not allowed to be crucified because Rome did not want anyone from their culture to be seen in that degraded form. It was so horrific. Therefore God has exalted, highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name. 
So in James 4, verse 10, it says, Humble yourselves, therefore, before the Lord, and he will exalt you. You see? He's called us to humble ourselves. Because that's the only way he knows it's real. And there's a promise there, though. You see that? Don't look at the negative and focus on the negative. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Doesn't say he might. 1 Peter 5, verses 5 and 6. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Again, that's his desire. That's his goal for you. That's the end game for God regarding you, is to elevate you, to exalt you. That's why I tell people who think they want things or they, 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 they want a, the, a certain spouse or a, a ministry or whatever. It's like quit praying for those things and say, God, make me usable. Make me a minister. Make me the man that this wonderful woman I want deserves. Or make me the woman that this godly man I... I want deserves. That's humility. And if you live that way, he will exalt you. You can't get close to God in pride. That's the, the long and the short of it. You just can't. Whether the pride or willful, unrepentant sin or the pride of self-righteousness, either way, it's still pride, just different sides of the same coin. Psalm 138, verse 6, in the Amplified, though the Lord is exalted, he regards the lowly. He regards the lowly. That means he, he, he has special care and attention Though the Lord is exalted, he regards the lowly and invites them into his fellowship. But the proud and haughty he knows from a distance. And that's where he keeps them. At a distance. You see? Psalm 35, 13. Talking about David. I think there was a song earlier. Gratitude, yeah. He was saying, Let's, we have the heart of David. We can do like David did. He said something along those lines. I heard the singer sing. It's what David did. He said, I humbled my soul. See, David humbled his own soul, his own personality, mind, will, and emotion with fasting. Soul, the mind, will, and emotions is where pride attacks us, you see. 
It's the soul is where we say, I want, I think, I feel. Well, it doesn't matter what we think or we want or we feel. It should be matter most what God wants and thinks and feels regarding us. And it's always going to end better that way if we'll agree with God. So I'm going to finish, and I want to invite you, like I told you I was going to last week, to fast with me this coming week, starting tomorrow uh, and until next Sunday evening. And it's, uh, I told you it wasn't going to be hard, but what I'm calling, inviting everyone to join in me with this, 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 this time is just one meal a day for, for dinner, preferably after the sun goes down, and nothing else in the evening, and during the day, and, 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 and for the day and, and night, as much, as much water or black coffee or unsweetened tea as, as you like. And now listen, you don't have to participate. You know, if all the bells and sirens in your head are going off, all oh, my, my, my medication, you know, I, I, I know. Okay, listen, just, just hang on. It's okay. There's no guilt. There's no condemnation. There's no shame. You see, this is not compulsion. Nobody's, compel- nobody's making you do this. And nobody's going to judge you if you don't. Nobody's even going to know, really. Unless you decide to talk to me about it or something. And, and believe me, I'm the last one that's going to judge you for anything. I, I, can't, I can't tell you enough as, as, as people of the congregation that God has given me. Whether you're here or online or anywhere else in the world. Quit thinking I'm ever going to judge you for anything. When you tell me about stuff you do, I barely even hear it. And if you knew how... How, how slight I think it is compared to all the trash I've done in my life, you would never worry about being judged by me again. I thank God that I've been free these 16 years, but I wasn't always. Amen? Amen. Okay. So, you don't have to participate, but you should. And there's something about doing it as a group, as a church family, that's very powerful. And I want you to be doing it. This isn't like a diet. This is, this is unto the Lord, you see. And if you can't do that, for whatever reason, give up something. Something you don't want to. Something is hard to give up. But do this if you can. This is not a hard one. Believe me, when Tavon and I first, <laughs> 16 years ago, we... We, we decided to go on a two or three week fast and we were just going to go total, all in. I was always the type, well, and I don't think they were calling for that. It was just something and I said, well, I'll do, you know, if you go a mile, I'll go two. You know, I was always like that. <laughs> At the end of a week, we were, <laughs> we, we were both delirious and we, we had to go home. We couldn't even sit. We went into a restaurant and said, maybe we'll just have some soup, you know, and we were sitting there and we couldn't even, we were, you know, like loopy. I mean, we were really messed up. And we called the pastor and he started laughing at us. He said, get you something to eat. <laughs> Don't do that again until you talk to me some more. So, listen, 
not trying to harm anybody, but listen, there's a special, there's a special, there's a special time with the Lord when you fast, when you deny your body the right to tell you what to do. It gives you a clarity of, it doesn't make God do anything. He's already there excited and waiting to speak to you and waiting to fellowship with you, but it will give you a clarity. It will give you, uh, it will help you to hear God more clearly. And when you're praising and worshiping him and the more your body cries out that you're being abusive and that they're going to call child protective services on you, you know, <laughs> if your soul could, it would, it would call the cops on you for mistreating anybody. <laughs> <See>? <laughs> But you just tell it, listen, I'll go another day if you don't shut up. <laughs> you command your soul like David did. You see what I'm saying? You are a spirit. That soul is not who you are. You are a spirit with a soul in a vehicle. This vehicle should not run your life. This is just what makes you earthbound. It's like a spacesuit. And I, well, I don't want to say that. Just people get all kind of weird on me and say that this is the preacher down there that talks all kind of alien stuff. No, no. We do have aliens, folks. They're demons. They've been here, okay? I don't know why that, that's been coming up a lot. So in case y'all are in all that nonsense, it, those are just, if, you, if they see, maybe they see angels sometimes, the other time it's demons. It's one or the other. <laughs> they're not extraterrestrial from some other dimension see because what the devil will do is and I'm not trying to get off this fast don't let me forget but what the devil will do and this is, this, this is one of the things I should have told you in the prophetic um, on uh, the first of the year on New Year's Eve but this is be mindful when you hear this so that you're aware and you can just disregard it but what they will do, they'll find, they'll find things, they'll find more evidence of extraterrestrial life or something like that, or they'll say that there is, and then they'll try to use it to disprove that we come from God. You see? It's all nonsense. So don't, don't go for it. So, if uh, nobody's telling you to stop taking your medicine, you supplements, whatever, you know, don't, don't do anything that goes against your faith. If it's not a faith, it's what? Sin. Yeah. So pray about this. You should everything anyway. But this is not going to harm you. Now, I qualified that by telling you don't stop taking your medicine and stuff like that. Unless God tells you to. God tells you to do something. You, if he tells you to walk through that cinder block wall, you just take off. Take off walking. I'll back you. I'll stand there with you and pray and believe until that thing moves. Because it's going to move. No condemnation, no judgment. But, but uh, this is something that, uh, that we've been needing to do together and I have uh, just been waiting for an opportune time and I believe that this is good there and know this there are there are churches and um, and parts of the body of Christ especially spirit-filled uh, 
um, uh, evangelical, you know, I don't like titles, you know, uh, but we are spirit-filled, Bible-based, I guess, evangelical, (laughs) Holy Ghost Church. And, uh, but there are churches that do this the first, uh, you know, three weeks of every year, you know, and they're in the middle of it now. So just take comfort in that, you know, and, uh, and also you have each other. And if you want to call and, and talk about it and, you know, you can have fun and you can talk about, and when you're reading your Bible, trust me, stuff will start bouncing off the page. It just will. If you have, how many of you have a habit of fasting, or have you been, you fasted, or you, yeah, yeah. There's all sorts of fasting. You know, the, the 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 best thing is just to give up food. You know, for for a time. Um, you can do a day. You can do a week. You can whatever. But you do three days. But but this is this is fa- this is a fast. You can fast from your devices. That one I highly recommend. Your phones and TVs and, you know, but you, anything that you ever think has a hold on you, let it go for a time. It doesn't mean you have to forever. Just prove to yourself and to, to the devil, hey, nothing, nothing compels me except the Holy Spirit. You know, that's who runs my life, Jesus. All right, so how many of you think you're going to participate? All right, all right, all right. That's a wonderful thing. Well, I'm excited for us all then. And uh, I'll just leave you with this, uh, this scripture from Psalm chapter 92. Psalm 92 um, says, The righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They're planted in the house of the Lord. You know, it's a good thing to be planted in the house of the Lord. You know, church is something that people, just like I told you, these college uh, kids are starting to think that uh, truth and goodness and all that should be subjective. You know, people have taken liberties with, with uh, church uh, going. And they started, uh, I don't want to say it started, but it, it didn't help during covid when so many big churches um, just told them, hey, you know, when they started meeting online, say, hey, it makes no difference whether you're here or there, we're here together in spirit. Well, that was not true. That was not true. It wasn't as good. That wasn't God's best. That's why this, we were, we closed down for, I think, one week. Uh, Randy, you might remember better, but I think we closed for one week, and it's only until I could talk to Randy and find out because I didn't want to disrespect the VFW or go against whatever they said. You know, once he told me we could go, we never closed and we never made anybody wear a mask because it is good to be planted in the house of the Lord. Amen? Amen. There are benefits, and it says here they flourish in the courts of our God. So when you're planted in a place, and God has a place for you to be planted, and that's a church. That's why when people say they come and you're going, I'm not one of those preachers that takes ownership of God's people. I've sat under people like ministers like that. I've never been one. I want everybody to come here, and I think they'd be wise if they did. <laughs> but I love you coming, love you co- going. If people tell me they're coming to this church, or, or should they, or whatever, I say, I don't know what's the Lord saying to you. Because it should be based on prayer. Because God has a place for you, even if it's just for a season. And that's where you will 
grow and prosper and flourish. Amen? Amen. And after a moment of time, you, you, you know, you need to you begin to serve in that capacity somewhere. It's fine. Find out what you can do. You can do something. That's why everybody, every time these guys are in here working their tails off, I, I don't ever stop them, you know. I, it's my tendency to always go, oh, let me do that, let me do that. But I have to learn to stop that because it's a blessing, everything they do in the house of the Lord, you know. And that's why when May makes the best cupcakes in the world, I'm just, I'm glad she gets to do it for God, you know. And I'm thankful that <laughs> she does it for us. Amen. <laughs> oh, oh, my goodness. Uh-oh. He just shot himself in the foot. <laughs> Listen. They planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. They shall bear fruit in old age. You need to claim all this. They are ever full of sap and green to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. Amen. See, so the glory still goes to God. The reason that when you're planted in the house of God, you will flourish and you will bear fruit in old age is so that you can brag on God about it. That's what he says. So it's always about Jesus. Amen? Amen? It's either about Jesus or it ain't worth talking about. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Is he good to you? Amen. He loves you and I do too. Hallelujah. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Glory to God. Father, we just thank you for this wonderful, beautiful day that you've given us. Thank you for the time that we've had to spend together listening to your word and growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for bearing us up and strengthening us and guiding us in this fast and help us to get closer to you, Lord, and help us to hear from you very clearly regarding the things that you have for us. Show us wonderful things that we didn't know, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.